Hello and welcome to the Bull Street Podcast. I'm Tim Kurtz. This podcast is a ministry of Bull Street Baptist Church, and it was designed to equip you to know Christ and tell of His amazing grace between Sundays. For more information about our church, visit bullstreet.org. In his book, Introduction to Evangelism, Alan Reed writes, We need more Christians who look like this, the head of a Baptist, the heart of a Pentecostal, and the feet of a Jehovah's Witness. There's an unfortunate truth behind that humor. Because we cherish Scripture's clear teaching that salvation is a free, gracious gift from God, we sometimes don't share our faith with the urgency of someone who might think their salvation depends, at least in part, on their evangelism. In other words, we lean on God's grace in an inappropriate way. However, when we reflect on what discourages us in our evangelism, we too often don't lean enough on God's grace. We feel a sense of shame that we don't share with enough frequency or a lack of boldness or clarity. But we of all people should be the most eager to share our faith because it proclaims that we are free from the burden of working for our salvation, and that truth gives us confidence when we share, knowing that we are not saved by our evangelistic track record, but by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. This week, I had the privilege of moderating a panel that features two church members and our lead pastor, and the topic was how to discuss your faith with those around you. Let's listen. I want to start with this uh, Max Stiles book, Evangelism. He has a definition for evangelism that I thought was helpful. He says that evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. So I want to get our panelists' thoughts. What do you think of that definition? Is that a good definition? Is it missing anything? Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. I think it's important to define what we mean when we say persuade. Because we can think of like rhetorical and like I need to have my argument all put together and all the stars aligned to make sure I could say I felt the pressure when I've been like, oh, no, I'm about to share the gospel. Oh, gosh, what if I don't say it right? And while that's important, we need to know the Bible. We need to know what the gospel is and how to communicate it. I think another element to that is we should persuade with our lives and what that looks like, especially when we are sharing that because our lives should look like what that is saying and that we should live like we believe it's true. I think that's a huge element of persuading people that, oh, you actually believe this. You're not just trying to tell me it to check a box or something like that. Like we should actually demonstrate through the way we live that we believe it. Well, I think trying to persuade them, we can try to convince them of what we're talking about and what we're given a testimony too, but it's God who does the conviction, not us. I think that what he's trying to get at is coming from the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So what Paul is, he's getting ready to you know, launch into, uh, we're ambassadors for Christ, right? We're, we're, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so we're controlled by the love of Christ 
And so we share because of the love of Christ and in the power of Christ. So we do persuade. That's part of how we should speak uh, persuasively, uh, winsomely. We don't have to beat people over the head. We don't have to feel like we've got to twist their arm. We can't do that. Like Jane was saying, it's God who changes the heart. Only God can change a heart. But we should speak in a way that is persuasive. And our, our aim is that they would be reconciled to God. God's appeal is coming through us to be reconciled to him. So I think that's what he's trying to get at is we, we tell the good news uh, and try to persuade others with this good news, that it's really good news. What do you think the difference is between persuasion and manipulation? And how can we check ourselves to see if our motivations are going one way or the other? When I think manipulation, I think kind of not being completely honest and trying to control a situation instead of, you know, what Jane was talking about, like really giving it over to the Lord. And even the words that I speak, I have to trust the Lord with these words, that he will use these words to convict that person of their sin and open their eyes to who Christ is. And so I shouldn't try to find the perfect word combination to convince people that the gospel is true, but tell the truth and let the Holy Spirit do the saving work, right? God provides the growth. I think, yeah, the, that word aim is helpful too, with an aim to persuade, because it keeps the target of evangelism in view. And we know that if we don't get everything perfect in this conversation, we can trust that to the Lord. And it frees us to just continue to love that person, um, especially if it's, this is someone that we, a neighbor or a family member that we're going to see you know, more often than just like a taxi driver or something. We have, a, we have an eternal aim in mind that we want this person to know Christ ultimately. What do you think is when we think about those relationships that are more ongoing, is there a difference in the way we share with people that we see frequently ongoing or those people that we know that this is the only time I'm ever going to see this person? Not does the gospel change, obviously, but in the method of sharing, is there anything that changes? Tim, I think that if just think about my next door neighbor when we were in Charleston, uh, I did not know he was not a believer. Uh, He had grown up in church. Uh, he and his wife, they occasionally went to church, uh, but I did not assume that he wasn't. I spoke to him like he would understand what I was talking about and ex- just spoke to him in with excitement and energy and enthusiasm about what the Lord was doing at our church. And, and the Lord used that to really draw him to ask more questions. And uh, within a few weeks, we were sitting at Moe's he was asking more questions, and uh, I shared the gospel with him, and he started weeping, uh, literally just started weeping and said, that's me. I don't, I'm not a believer, and I want to know Christ, and he prayed to receive Christ, and it was the most amazing thing. I, I was kind of shocked. I was kind of, that just happened, and and, and all of a sudden, he's growing and growing and ended up, he ended up leading our small group when we left, and he ended up being a deacon in the church and, and has grown tremendously. But I didn't know what the Lord was doing, and uh, we were just friends and living next door to each other, and I was speaking to him about exciting things that, that the Lord was doing, and that piqued his attention. I think stories like that are incredibly encouraging and motivating, um, 
but how should we, is evangelism only successful if it ends in conversion? How should we measure the success of our sharing the gospel? Well, for many people, it takes many times of hearing the gospel, and our goal should not be that we, that's what I was thinking about that word of manipulation. We may be trying to manipulate them into convincing them that, hey, you got to make this commitment now, so could I, so I can chalk it up as, I want somebody to Christ, and that's not our, our goal, because God works, sometimes it takes six, seven many times, many years in some cases, for people to come to know Christ. I have a a friend that I went to school with that I know is not a Christian, and we've stayed in touch over the years, and I really started praying fervently for her and her, for she and her husband. Finally, I made an appointment to meet her for lunch and share the gospel with her, and she listened to me, and she asked a few questions, and her immediate response when I asked her about her, her spiritual life, well, Well, I went to Sunday school when I was a little kid with my mother and daddy, you know, and so I'm okay. I I went to church, and so that led into further discussion in my sharing the gospel with her and asking about her believing in heaven and hell. Ultimately, she said, oh, I'm probably going to hell. She said, you know, I haven't ever killed anybody when I talked about sin. I haven't killed anybody or done anything really horrible, you know, so... And that's how unbelievers think, that, hey, you know, heaven's for anybody, you know, if you hadn't done anything really horrible. And um, she's not come to commitment yet, but during the COVID, I've called her a few times, and, and as she talked about how terrible things were, I would let her know that the answer was Jesus and try to talk with her again. But it's not God's timing yet. around this a little bit, but I think when it comes to having confidence in sharing the gospel, let's make sure that we're all on the same page. What is the gospel? We need to have confidence in order to be able to share it. You mentioned that she pointed to these things in her past, cultural, church-adjacent things, religious things. What are the things that when it comes to sharing the gospel, we need to make sure that these things are included? Is there anything that we need to not include? What do we need to include? What What is the gospel? What is a gospel presentation? I know a friend at work, he doesn't work there anymore, but sharing with him, just he understood his brokenness, and I'd say he was like a God-fearer, but he literally considered himself a Christian, but told me he he was like, I don't know about that whole Jesus thing. Like He kind of said that. I was like, okay, well, you're not a Christian, you know? Only in the South. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. When we would talk about like brokenness, like, yeah, I'm broken too. And, you know, sharing my own struggles with him. And uh, we were close enough to where I felt comfortable sharing the sins that I struggle with and like how I, I didn't save myself. Christ purchased my redemption for me and then opened my eyes. And I didn't do any of this. Like, I didn't save myself. You know, coming from that point of I, I am a sinner. I am just like you. There is 
nothing different. The only difference is that Christ has saved me and that his blood covers all sins that you've committed and pays for all of that. And so that's what I would try to, you know, and he was kind of a universalist, but listen, it's Christ. Like that is the only way to be saved. So Christ has to be included for sure. Jane, would you add anything? Yeah, we have to include the fact that he came, God sent him down from a perfect world. He's the perfect man and none of us can measure up to that. So he sent him to die on the cross and then he was buried and then resurrected. And the resurrection is real important to know that he's no longer in the grave. And yeah. we too will have resurrection. Amen. Calvin, anything you would add? Yeah, kind of the content of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered to you that, that which is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay for the redemption, or pay for the sins of sinners. And so got to talk about God, the perfections of God, the holiness of God, the creator, the king, the, the ruler of everything that he's created us for his glory. So talk about God, talk about man and the condition of man, that we are sinners by birth and sinners by choice, uh, that we're rebels against God. We don't want God ruling our lives, and so we, we want to be rulers ourselves. So God, man, and then Christ is the answer uh, to reconcile God and man because sin, our sin puts us at enmity with God. Our rebellion against God, the wrath of God is coming on our sin. So really bringing Christ in as the answer to reconcile God and man. And then uh, ask, really, it, the gospel should provoke what must I do to be saved and really a response. What's the response? repentance and faith. So I would say those kind of things in a, in a gospel conversation, God, man, Christ, and his person, his work, and a response, uh, a response of obedience to the gospel. Could I say, I think when we were getting ready to go to Israel, Calvin shared with us the three circles that you can draw. You can even, if you're out with someone, you can do it on a napkin, and you draw this circle, and this is, shows the brokenness of man and all the different ways that man tries to feel better about himself. He may become addicted to things. He may desire power or seek after material goods. Um, friendships, family may. We have all these idols that we grab onto. Back over here, there was a God created the world in the beginning perfectly in his love for us. And man sinned, and so he goes to the brokenness circle. And then you draw down another circle, and that's where you show Jesus came down from heaven and died on a cross and was raised from the dead. And then it's his kingdom, and we put a crown up there. And over here, we show man repenting. He's, he's kneeling down before God because he has to repent and believe and have faith. And so then he can be restored. The arrow goes up back to the perfect one. He can be restored to God by his uh, faith in Jesus. Yeah. And I, I've always loved that the circle thing can then keep going. Because we have been restored, we go back into the brokenness that we see with Christ, and we want to keep it going. Are there any other methods? The three circles is great, and I think we have 
some copies of that in the office as well, if you'd like more information about that method in particular. Um, are you there, can go on to YouTube and watch it also. It's on the YouTubes. <laughs> just just um, write in three circles. Okay. Are there other methods that you have found helpful over the years, or do you have a testimony about using the three circles with someone and how, how it worked? I've used more of the Share Jesus Without Fear. Okay. A few years back we did That's Written by William Fay. He was quite a character, and he has quite a testimony of how he came to know the Lord. He was this awful man who was into everything. And um, anyway, he, um, his method is when you meet with someone to start up a conversation, ask them if they have any kind of a spiritual life. What's, what's their spiritual life like? And um, then from there, well, then to you, who is Jesus? If they say he's my Lord and Savior, then you pretty much figure out they probably are a Christian. Um, if not, then you ask them if they believe in heaven or hell. And if you died today, where would you go? And on goes the conversation from there. He, t- he told of an experience of being on an airplane, sitting next to a young woman, and she's, he said, this is where he started the conversation to ask him about heaven. Um, if this plane went down today, where would you go? I think he must have asked if she believed in heaven or hell. She said, I don't know. And that began a conversation of him sharing his faith with sharing Christ with her. And when they deplaned, she became a Christian and he directed her to a church and uh, kept in touch with her. And so just in short little places like that, you can find ways to um, share your faith. And he also tells about being on a corner waiting on a bus and maybe there's a church across the street. That could happen right here. Um, Have you ever been in that church? And that person may say, no. So you say, have you been to church? Or do you go to church somewhere? And so from there, he carried on a conversation just on on a bus corner. So there are places like that, that little things that we can start up a conversation with people. So, yeah, if someone says, well, I'm more introverted, I don't, I don't talk to people, that's not, that's not the personality that God's given me, what would you say to that? I think I would encourage you to look up some of these ways that you could learn to do that and, be, and, and read the scripture yourself, for one thing. Be in the Word every day. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> no, I think that's good. I think, I think something I noticed in, in what you were describing was how many questions there were that you could start with, that you can always start with a question. Yes. And if that, you know, leads the conversation nowhere, think of a different question. You know, something else, though, that I found for me over the years, when I began to have a concern for lost people, then I would pray for lost people. And that's the beginning, I think. And then just like with my friend, I started praying for her. And so God convicted me to make, make an effort to go out of my way to try to spend time with her and, and share the gospel with her. And one of the things that in uh, transformational that we used in the Sunday school at one time, um, he talks about Sunday school classes. In your Sunday school class, Talk about lost people. You know, you have your prayer time, but do you pray for lost people? Do you pray for the things of the world that are going on? But you could have people in your class who share a name. One class in particular that he talks about put names on a board. And so they would pray for those lost people every week. 
And at one of our uh, training things at Ridgecrest one time, I think someone testified that at their church, because these names were on the board, finally someone came whose name was on the board, and they recognized that, hey, they've been praying for me. That's why I'm here, you know. I think in, to spread it throughout our church, that's what we need to be doing in our classes, begin there, praying for lost people. And then I think it you learn and through reading the scripture. And um, for me, that's how, that's how it began, was really praying for lost people. And God, and asking for opportunities. Ask God to give you opportunities, and by golly, he will when you ask him. <laughs> Amen. I love that also, just, just knowing your Bible. So much of just conversations that we have is just building bridges and making connections. And the better we know our Bibles, the more we'll hear things that people say, and we can, hold on, let's push a little deeper on that. Because it's, it's all connected to a worldview somewhere. I think it's, it's important for us to in those moments, not hone in on differences because you could end up in a evolution creationism debate and then that could go nowhere. But instead looking for the truths that people are saying, connect it to a truth in scripture and then go from there. You said something, Jane, about, you know, if our Sunday school classes were to do this or, or, or in our church. about um, our church, we have a very mission-minded church. We love missions. I mean, you can't go more than a Sunday or two without um, some reference to international missions. We're trying to get the gospel to the ends of the earth and in our neighborhood. But is it possible to be a missional church without having a culture of evangelism? There, there are two things that we know we, they should go together, but is it possible for those things to not be happening together? And if so, why? And then, if so, how can we foster a deeper culture of evangelism? So you could, um, you could give a lot of money towards missions. You could give, you can, and you can pray, uh, and you could have a concern for people, you know, to the ends of the earth, and and maybe never share the gospel with the people who are around you or never talk about Jesus or uh, never share your testimony with the people around you. And sometimes it's easier to get excited about missions uh, than it is to really step out of your comfort zone and share the gospel with the people around you. And it could be fear of rejection or fear of failure, all of those kinds of things. You asked a question a little while ago about if you share the gospel and they don't come to faith, is that you know is is that what success is? Is when they come to faith? And the answer is absolutely not. Success is in the obedience and the faithfulness. And so uh, we can't do the the work that that only God can do. But He has chosen to work through the proclamation of the gospel. That's how people are born again, through the living and abiding word, which is the gospel that we preach to you. So I think we can have a confidence uh, in, in the gospel message, uh, the power of the gospel. And uh, the more confident we are, the more we know our Bibles, the more we hear testimonies in our congregation of how people are regularly sharing 
that stirs the whole congregation to share. Uh, we talk about the things we're excited about. We share about our families, our grandchildren, our, you know, we open pictures and show everybody our pictures of our fishing trip or whatever. I think we could cultivate a, a passion for evangelism by talking about it more. This conversation right now is yeah. one way to do that. Yeah. You used a word when you said it might be easier to send money. It's, it's sometimes easier to focus, you know, away from us. Um, that just reminded me of Pastor Andrew's sermon this Sunday. I think it was his second or third point about sometimes Jesus calls us to do hard things. And that's not so that we can do the difficult thing and then impress God with look out, look at this thing that we did that was so difficult. But it's out of a, jo- a joy and a love for him and a joy of obedience. We have an opportunity to obey him in a really difficult thing. And yeah, maybe that difficult thing is writing down those that those spheres that you you know, I've got this neighbor, I've got this family member, I've got this barista that I see every day. Like, okay, I'm gonna commit to to having a gospel conversation with him. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to direct the conversations toward Christ out of a love for him. And I think part of that obedience is going back to what you're saying, like actually caring for lost people and because people will know if you're trying to quote unquote selling something or whatever, where you are like trying to check off the box. But when you actually care about them, those things will come up in genuine conversation because you're diving into the matters that actually matter about their lives and about what they think. And so that's some of the hard work is spending time like, you know, like even with coworkers, it's kind of hard because you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be working. But I would spend in my friend's office like and we would just talk about the Lord and talk about our faith and stuff. And it was very productive. You know, it was productive for the kingdom. But that's the hard work of laboring, having conversations, getting to know them, getting to know what they think, not just sharing what you think, but to understand where they're coming from so you can relate the gospel to into their situation. And that's some of the hard work that it's it's easy to like bypass that and just talk about football or something, but to talk about the heart matters. I think the thing about you as talking about missional versus uh, evangelism and um, very often churches are really busy doing good things called mission projects, but they never share their faith. They just do good things for them. And I think what we're going to be doing on the 31st is a good example of a missional and evangelism because we're going to be doing something special for people, but at the same time sharing the gospel with them. And classes could do mission projects such as that, um, not to that big extent, but it could be some person in our church who doesn't have someone who can cut their grass, and maybe your class could uh, go and do that, but take time to spend time with them also and talk about the gospel with them. There's a quote uh, in this book from Max Stiles uh, where he's talking about the difference between actual evangelism, you sharing the gospel with someone, having a gospel conversation versus an evangelistic program and how it can be easy to go feel like, oh, I did my part, I participated in this thing. And he says, programs are like sugar. It's tasty, even addictive. However, it takes away a desire for more healthy food. Though it provides a quick burst of energy, over time it makes you flabby and a steady diet will kill you. A strict diet of evangelistic programs produces malnourished evangelism. Just as eating sugar can make us feel as if we've eaten when we haven't, Programs can often make us feel as if we've done evangelism when we haven't. So we should have a healthy unease with programs. We should use them strategically, but in moderation. 
remembering that God did not send an event, he sent his son. I love the connection to July 31st, but don't just come on July 31st and think, okay, I showed up on July 31st, and so I did my part. Show up on July 31st, have a gospel conversation with someone, get someone's phone number, have them to lunch the next week, have another gospel conversation with them. That's, that is evangelism. Um, it's taking it that extra step. I want to talk a little bit about a challenge we sometimes face when we're trying to share the good news, and that's when people, not even necessarily in that hostile of a way, they just clearly want to shut that conversation down. They might say they're not interested in talking religion or politics. How do we be polite and considerate when someone is pushing back a little bit, um, but still faithfully point people to what we believe is the best news they could ever hear in their life? Well, the experience I had with my friend from school, she and her husband and and I had gone to Atlanta for a funeral, and I they were related to the person that I went to the funeral for. And so on the way back, the man was talking about, because the um, burial was going to be on a family farm away from Atlanta, and something was said about, well, it just, it doesn't matter, it's just going to be going back to the, you know, dust, back to the dirt, you know. And I, I asked the question, do you believe in heaven or hell? And he said, we are not talking about things like that, just stop that right now. So I didn't say anymore. I was cut off. But then, see, his wife is the one that I contacted and shared my faith with her. And uh, they've had a stormy relationship when we knew them as teenagers. They were always cursing each other, and they still do it to this day. But they're still together. <laughs> I do not know how. But <laughs> It's one thing that came to mind is if you talk about the gospel out there or religion out there, then it's kind of politics and religion, and we don't talk about that. But if you talk about your personal testimony uh, and your experience and how you know uh, God has changed your life, that can be a, a, a real personal way uh, that, that could be heard in a fresh way, that it's not just about somebody else's experiences, it's about how the Lord has changed your life. And one thing I would say about testimony is, your testimony, my testimony, is not the gospel. It's not the content of the gospel. My testimony, though, should include the gospel, and it can. And I was thinking about uh, Acts 26, I believe it is, Paul before Agrippa, where he tells about his life before Christ. And then he tells what happened when he met Christ, his conversion, and kind of like, what, what happened when you met Christ? What did you come to believe? How did he change your life? And then what uh, your life after uh, being changed by Christ. And it could be just in a real personal way like that, uh, talking about how the Lord has changed your life through the gospel that could turn that from a, a topic like religion and politics to sharing your heart and, and what the Lord has done in, in your personal life. A couple years ago, Paige Westberg had the college students do an exercise along those lines where she just had us come up with a couple words what, is, what did the brokenness of sin look like in your life? How did it manifest itself in your life? And then how has Jesus changed it? So I was broken, now I'm healed. I was powerless, now I'm free from sin. Even just having those, coming up with a couple words like that for yourself personally um, can really be something you can keep in your mind that you can quickly point people to to say, 
no, no, no. Again, pointing to Jesus, not, not just ourselves, but saying, this is who I was. And then Jesus changed me in these ways. That's really good. And, and I think like leaning into that relationship too, and not, you know, like pulling back, um, but leaning into the friendship and the relationship and trying to live through things together and understand like personally, um, that, that brings the warmth, the winsomeness to the gospel message too, you know, working up to that. In some cases you have to like earn it to, you know, in a friendship to be able to share the gospel. Um, and, uh, so, and that's how I try to view it with some people. I'm like, oh, I have to earn that opportunity to talk with them about it. Like to have the, I'll say credibility, you know, that I'm not trying to sell them something. I'm, I care about them and I care about this, you know? I think what comes to mind again is is what excites you, uh, and it could be something fresh that the Lord has done in your life, something in your family, something with your children, something at work, something that He's shown you that is just transformative that uh, that you you want to talk about. We talk about current things, not just past things that happened a long time ago, but current things that are happening right now, and so. You may be afraid to just come out and ask a bunch of questions that lead to, you know, a presentation of the gospel, but it could be, you know, uh, if they're your friend, then you share things with your friend that, that you know, if they know you and care for you, then that they, you want them to know you. And so it could be a fresh experience of something that, you know, an answered prayer you know, I prayed for this for a long time, and God just answered my prayer, and I just have to tell everybody about it. And so kind of a fresh excitement could be a new way to engage somebody that you haven't shared the gospel with. Uh, at, they're your friend. They're excited about things that you're excited about. Thanks for listening. To experience these panels in person, Join us at Bull Street Wednesdays at 6.30 this summer. Tonight, Pastor Andrew is moderating a panel on the church and the sexual revolution. I hope to see you there.